Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, I'm Cube Witten. Uh, my family and I, we've been here. Uh, we just celebrated three years. Uh, we love Holland. We can't imagine worshiping anywhere else on the planet. We love it here at Holland Avenue. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you always humble because we know intimately the need that we have before you. We are so poor before you. And yet, Father, we are now rich, not because of anything that we did, but because your own arm brought salvation to us in the person and work of Christ. That song was just played, lift high the cross of Christ, Father, and we, we lift it high because we know that it is, it is only because of the cross that we can approach your throne of grace. It's only because of Christ's death on the cross and his three, three day later resurrection that we know that we have sure footing before you, that one day we will too be resurrected we know that when you look down, you see Jesus Christ's righteousness superimposed on our very souls. Father, this morning as we approach your word, I pray that you would help us to see the grandeur of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray as well for our pastor. Pray for his heart. We pray for his parents. Pray for his father. The doctors would be... Um, superintending the, the process, Father. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So have you ever been asked a question at the beginning of a sermon? <laughs> That's a twofer. <laughs> I would make fun of Kevin, but he's just too cool, so. Yeah, I, I just didn't want to start the sermon without asking the question. It, it feels like we have to hear that intonation, or it's not a real sermon. We're going to be in 1 Timothy this morning. Uh, Paul, he tells Timothy why a pastor is worthy of double honor in this book. Um, and it's a sermon that I feel free to preach because I have no skin in the game. I am not on staff, I am not a pastor here, and so I can uh, preach this sermon without it looking like I'm self-serving. The book of 1 Timothy, it is a personal letter Paul is writing to his son in the faith. He first met this son, uh, Timothy, who was uh, a half, half Jewish, half Greek. Um, he met him in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, on his second missionary journey. He saw something in this, this young lad, and he not only becomes a Christian as a result of Paul's ministry, but Paul sees something in him. And we, we have to, we don't even wonder why he sees something in this young man. It's because this young man was poured into by his mother and his grandmother, who were both Christians. But Paul sees this man as a potential pastor, a potential fellow worker for Christ. And so he takes him along on his missionary journey, and he shows him what a pastor is. 
In doing this, Paul, we know Paul is the apostle of the Gentiles, but very often when he would approach a city, where would he go? He'd go immediately to the synagogue and start teaching. So Timothy was not circumcised because his father was a Greek, so uh, Paul even circumcises Timothy. And that's when you know that you trust your mentor when you let him circumcise you. So Timothy is with Paul, even when Paul ministers at Ephesus. After his second missionary journey, he settles in Ephesus, and he, he preaches there. Paul preaches in Ephesus, if you didn't know that, for three years, a three-year ministry. Can you imagine the most eminent of the apostles? And he is in Ephesus preaching on a daily basis, and Timothy is there. He gets to see what a pastor looks like, how a congregation loves their pastor, and how gracious a pastor can be. Paul loved this church, and they loved him. We see when Paul is coming back, he concludes his third missionary journey. He's coming to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit divinely revealed to him that he is going to suffer. He's going to be, um, he's going to be imprisoned, and affliction waits for him. And so we know that that wasn't the end of the story. He's eventually going to be released, but he didn't know that. And he thought this was the end of the road. He thought it was arrest, affliction, and death. And so he, he makes it such that on his way back from his third missionary journey, he can stop in one last time and say uh, a parting message to this church at Ephesus. And so he, it's tearful. They're on this beach. They kneel, they pray, they weep. And it says they can't stop kissing Paul. This is more than a job. This is not a vocation. This is more than that. He intimately loves the churches. He gave of all that he was to these churches. Well, Paul was arrested for the first time after he comes back to Jerusalem on his third missionary journey. Uh, Timothy is even with him then, stays by his side. Paul is released at the end of Acts chapter 28. Uh, we don't get the details because Acts obviously ends. But Paul travels and preaches again. Timothy settles back into Ephesus and becomes the head pastor. And this is where he receives the letter of 1 Timothy from Paul. Paul implores him, uh, encourages him, and teaches him what he needs to do in this church because there's trouble, there's turmoil in Ephesus. Ephesus was an interesting city. It had one of the ancient wonders of the... Uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It had the Temple of Diana, or Artemis, as her Greek name is. Uh, it was beautiful. According to the ancient sources, it even had sculptures that were 500 years old by Phidias, just an amazing sculptor. It was uh, the Myrtle Beach of idolatry. It was a very big touristy spot. So you would come to Ephesus as an idolater, and you would want to go and see in this temple. So you can see a lot of Asia Minor cities as well had idolatry, but this one all the more because of this temple. You can imagine how difficult it would be to be in a city that is rampant with idolatry. And then the Ephesian church, they had their own problems. They had evil pastors who were teaching bad doctrine. Can you imagine if on one Sunday someone got up and started spouting out falsehoods from the pulpit? It would be almost unbearable to the pastors that knew correct doctrine. And this is what it is to Paul. He hears about it, and he immediately writes to Timothy, and he says, you have to confront these men. 
The language is so pastoral. It's so gentle. This is how he tells Timothy to deal with the people in the church, even the people that are teaching falsehood. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. He doesn't say, these guys need to be silenced and we need to just run them out of the town on a rail. No, it's always gentleness. It's always humility. It's always graciousness. He wants Timothy to deal with them as Paul did in his own ministry. And this is also in chapter 5 where Paul turns and he tells Timothy how the church should treat him, how the church should treat pastors, how the church should think about their pastors, and how the church should pay pastors. We're getting to the brass tacks here in chapter 5. So verses 17 to 25 of chapter 5 in 1 Timothy, it outlines us pastors. In verses 17 and 18, we have honor for pastors. In verse 19, a hedge of protection for the pastors. Verses 20 and 21, it's a heave-ho for unqualified pastors. And the handling of new elders is found in verses 22 to 25. If we were to deal with all of the text today, we would be here for five hours. We're not going to do that. Uh, We're just dealing with verses 17 and 18, the honor for pastors. Let's read our text. Verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Verses 17 and 18 has a high call, not only for the pastor, but also for us as a congregation. It's a double-edged sword. It has an edge for the pastor and an edge for the congregation. Sadly, in our day, we've, we've fallen short. Our ch- the church at large has fallen short in giving uh, the pastor double honor. So this morning, we're going to see three reasons why we should give our pastors double honor. We must give them do- double honor because they rule well. We must give them double honor because they labor in the word. We must give them double honor because it is from the very mouth of God that we hear this encouragement. Now, if you're a pastor and you're listening to this sermon today or you're listening on the website, your, your points are just reversed. You must rule well to be worthy of double honor. You are especially due double honor if you currently labor in the word. And the Lord has divinely spoken and willed in his word that you are due double honor as a pastor. Well, let's look at our first point. We must give double honor to our pastors because they rule well. I'm sure you notice in the passage, it doesn't actually say pastor, it says elder. Uh, There are three words in the New Testament that actually mean the same thing. They're the same office, pastor, elder, bishop. Um, So we use the word pastor a lot more than the other words, but they are really interchangeable. Sometimes they speak of the different aspect of the ministry, like bishop is actually, it just means overseer. Uh, Shepherd is the meaning of the word pastor. Uh, An elder was just thought of as someone who is elderly and had more wisdom. But these words came to mean the same office of the pastorate. So that means that you could start calling uh, Dow Bishop Dow. I don't think he'd like that. 
The double honor here, it's not simply esteem that we're giving. It's not simply honor. It's more than that. It means, it goes on uh, to mean something else as well. But it is true, we should esteem them highly. We get that in elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul doesn't even use one of the words for the office here because he is concerned not so much with the office, but he's concerned with the work. It's almost absurd that we have to be told to be grateful. How, how do we so quickly forget that we are to be grateful for those who diligently work so hard and serve us? Those that are imitating Christ, those who model Christ before us and become our servant. And I think so often we think of them too meanly and we think of them as our servant and yet the Bible calls them the Lord's bondservant, not our servant, even though they do serve us. They, they answer to Christ. But those who labor diligently among us, we seem to always forget that they, they, they deal with such hardship, such turmoil on a daily basis. And really by extension, uh, even though we're talking about pastors, the whole staff of Holland, they, they just, they're so diligent to labor among us. And we have to be reminded to be grateful. It was clear that when my daughter uh, when we first started coming here and my daughter was in Fifth Avenue. Um, Holland Avenue, Fifth Avenue. I just got that. Was that purposeful? Oh my goodness, I'm slow. Tammy, she loved our daughter and taught our daughter and it was just a joy. And so we, we knew she was in such capable hands. Last week, or it was, might have been two weeks ago, Lindsay was talking about preschool starting, and I, I was expecting to hear, oh, yeah, preschool starting. But it, it wasn't drudgery that I heard in her voice. It was delight. She loves the ministry because she loves Christ, and she loves the people. It's not hard to see Ty as loving people and so gracious, so Christ-like. Kevin has t taken such great pains with our children uh, with the youth. Uh, it wasn't hard to see that he pours his life into these children and gives all that he has. Dow agonizes over his sermons. I mean, I remember one, one time he, he called me up because he had to totally change his sermon and he reworked it because he, was, he wasn't pleased with it. He pours over the text to show us the grandeur of Jesus Christ. That's how they model Christ to us. They work tirelessly among us. Not to mention, frequently Dow is a permanent fixture at the hospital. He ministers to others even when his own circumstances are hard. That statement in the roll call of saints in Hebrews 11 comes to mind that uh, the people on staff at Holland Avenue, uh, men and women of whom the world was not worthy. But going back to the office of the, the pastors though, this is rolling well. It's when they point us to Jesus Christ. Not that they teach us the, the hard things of doctrine. That's good and that's profitable, but 
showing us Jesus Christ, that's, that's what sanctifies us. Ruling well points us back to being gracious, but instructive. When there's conflict, not being domineering, not saying it must happen like this because I said so as the pastor, but it's being humble and being gentle and patient. And really, this ruling well is assumed that you can't rule well if you're not qualified for the office. We don't have time this morning to go into the the details that Paul gives us in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, but he outlines what a deacon is to be and what an elder is to be, and they have the same moral qualifications. The only difference between deacon and elder is uh, deacon and pastor, deacon and elder, is that the elder teaches. And so if you're ungodly, you can't rule well. And now don't misunderstand what I'm saying when I say that. I don't mean to say that you won't be successful or that you won't have the largest church or that people won't be falling over each other, coming in the door to hang upon every word you say. That's not ruling well necessarily. Raking it in in the offering is not ruling well necessarily. And if you are ungodly, if you're not qualified for the office that you hold, you will not rule well. And so Paul is quite concerned at Ephesus that there are some that were not ruling well, that there were some that were, had no business being pastors. The consequence of this, though, you say, well, you know, there's a few bad apples. What does that matter? One, one man can wreak havoc in a church. One divisive man. One man teaching incorrect doctrine. One man who's unloving. One man who is ungentle. One man who is not qualified for the office. Paul says that they are up, upsetting the faith of some. In Titus, he says when evil men come into the church, they, uh, they're upsetting whole families and they must be silenced. They're doing so much damage. I mean, think about it. As a pastor, he has charge of our souls, our very souls, Scripture says. What? Nothing is more important than that. Okay, so why the double honor? Why not just honor? Why do we have to go overboard, it seems? What is this double honor? I mean, are we comparing pastors who rule well to, to pastors who rule, meh, okay? The comparison has its foundation in the beginning of the chapter. Look at 1 Timothy 5.3. Honor widows who are widows indeed. This may seem like an insignificant comparison, but it's not, because Paul is going to go on for the next uh, 13 verses and talk about how we are to put widows on the list to take care of them. And so there was a system in place in Ephesus where if you were a widow, you would be put on a list to be taken care of. And he, he outlined who exactly is a widow indeed. And if you had to if you, you had a dependent widow, if the widow had family to take care of her, he said, don't put her on the list because the family can take care of her um, as they have means. And he said, if the widows are too young, uh, why don't we just encourage them to get married because, you know, they can still uh, get married again um, and be taken care of. And so that wouldn't be a financial burden on the church. So when he says in verse 3, honor widows, we're talking, yes, we're talking about esteeming them, 
but primarily the expression of that is talking about financial. And so right after verse 16, look at verse 16. If any woman who is a believer and has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. And then we have verse 17 where it says, give the pastor double honor. You may have never seen that before, but that is incredibly significant. Think about how often the Bible talks about widows and how we are to treat widows. It's all over Scripture. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. And we are to treat widows with honor, but we are to help as well. That's what the expression means. I mean, James, we think of James when he says, this is true and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress. He's talking about financially. And in verse 17, when we say they're worthy of double honor, Paul is expressly saying that the pastor is worth his wages because of the work that he does. And in fact, as much as you honor the widows, give the pastor double that. That's the comparison. This cannot be overstated. The reason I think Paul makes a distinction here by saying that pastors ruling well instead of just saying pastors is because I believe in Ephesus we had men who had no business being pastors. Well, we turn to the second point. We give double honor to our pastors because they labor in the word for us. Verse 17 again. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So we have an additional distinction here that yes, elders Pastors, bishops are to be given double honor, but especially those who have the occasion to teach, who are currently teaching. And so I don't believe we have a distinction here on, you know, a pastor who only rules and a pastor who only teaches. I think there were other pastors and they just lacked occasion to be preaching. But think about this. Paul says they labor in the word. They labor in the word. I mean, how often have you sat in the pew and you just, you're sitting there weeping, waiting for a word from the sermon because you, you need encouragement, because you need strength. How often have you sat there and gleaned it from our pastor? And don't think that that just happens. You can't just get up here and shoot one from the hip. It doesn't work that way. It's laborious. It takes time. And you Sunday school teachers know that as well, that it, it, it takes time. And, or if you've ever taught... It takes time to pour over the passage. It takes time to go to the Lord in prayer and say, Father, give, give me a word for uh, the, the church. Help me to understand the scripture that I can teach. And this is what happens on a weekly basis. I mean, we tend to want to be entertained. We tend to want two points in a poem. But that's not what's going to sanctify us. What's going to sanctify us is the pastor digging deep into the word, showing us the grandeur of Jesus Christ on the page of scripture, pointing to him, modeling him with their lives. It's the word that judges our thoughts and intentions. It's, our, it's the word, John 17 says, that sanctifies us, that makes us holy, that makes us more like Christ. I mean, we need to remind ourselves why we're here. We're here 
to minister. I mean, we're not here just to get a blessing. Yes, the pastor, he does give us encouragement. He does give us admonishment. But he gets up here, tells us what the word means so that the word energizes in your own heart so that you're able to use your gift to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's for the equipping of the saints so that you can do your job, so that you can preach the gospel. Well, finally, we must give double honor to our pastors because it is from the very mouth of God that we hear it. Verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Just as an ox, uh, they used to use the ox to step on the wheat and it would uh, break the kernels from the chaff, uh, you weren't to muzzle the ox in the Old Testament. Uh, you could you unmuzzle him so that he could actually eat while he's stomping. And so just like he's allowed to eat as he tramples the grain, and also the laborer who is worthy of his wages, so too the pastor who rules well, especially those who teach, are worthy of double honor. And that is generous wages. That's the expression of our high esteem, our high love for the pastor. The Holy Scriptures are speaking to us in this passage. Are you going to argue with the Scriptures? Are you going to say, well, no, I don't think he deserves. If he's not, if he, I don't want the pastor being paid higher than I do. That is the wrong expression. Paul's fuller treatment of the subject is to be found in 1 Corinthians 9, where he uses the same scripture, but he says, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense, likening the soldier to the pastor. And then he quotes again, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Paul says, we're not primarily talking about oxen here, are we? Martin Luther says this passage is obviously not talking to oxen because oxen can't read. <laughs> Paul goes on to say this in verse 11. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things? And anyone who knows Paul, he was not trying to get a nest egg and retire in the Caribbean. He, he just wanted to live and pastor and get the things he needed. And very often he, he used his own tent-making skills not to be a burden to the church, even though it was obviously in Scripture and he could have uh, asked for it. So the first quote is from Deuteronomy, but the second quote, do you know where that's from? That's from Jesus Christ's mouth himself in verse 7 of Luke chapter 10. When he sent out the 70, he said, the laborer is worthy of his wages. And that's what Paul is quoting now. Paul is quoting Jesus Christ's own words for the authority to uh, give the pastor double honor. And so we have, in this short verse, we have a scripture from Deuteronomy that carries the authority. We have a scripture from Jesus Christ's own mouth, and we have this verse itself, which is scripture, telling us that our attitude, this is what we need to kindle in our own hearts, double honor for pastors. You know, Corinthian church, the Corinthian church needed to be corrected by Paul, and we, we have those two letters. They actually repented. We know that from history. And 30 years later, they actually fall into a different sin. And you know what that sin is? They actually purge their godly pastors out of the church. They act ungodly. 
Clement of Rome writes to them and gently rebukes them and says to them, uh, he tries to shame them, and he, he says, um, search the scriptures and come up with an example where righteous men are thrust out anywhere by holy men. The implication is they are acting very evil by purging these godly men. They're not giving them the double honor that they are due. They're not esteeming them highly in love. We need to appreciate the pastors who tirelessly serve among us. We need to kindle this in our hearts. We need to, we need to give our offerings knowing that we are giving not only to the work of service, but we are we're giving double honor, and that's an expression of worship that we should have. It's this generosity that should flow out of our hearts. Do you believe this? Do you kindle that in your hearts? Do you believe that what Galatians says, the one who is taught the word, that's us, is to share all good things with the one who teaches him? Well, I want to close with a date. And you probably don't know what this date is. August 24th, 1662. It's a date... Uh, known to England as the Great Ejection. And what it was, was um, it was a law that was crafted in England at this time by the Church of England, by the clergy of the Church of England, to purge from England all the Puritan pastors. And so they were ejected on August 24th, from their the role as pastor, from their office as pastor. Can you imagine? 2,500 pastors. And these are Puritan pastors. They, you read their sermons, a lot of them that we have, and they are, they just bleed Bible. They're so good. And so 150 years later, J.C. Ryle, he referred to the ejection as an injury to the cause of true religion in England, which will probably never be repaired. He was still seeing the effects of what had happened 150 years previous. 2,500 churches just like that, lost their pastor. What, what do you think that did to all the families of those 2,500 churches? Could you imagine if that happened in South Carolina? Well, there's a book of sermons that are the Puritan sermons leading up to this and what they preached to their people before they left. And they're just so heartfelt. They just loved their congregation. And they, they weren't bitter, but they, they agonized because they had to leave. You can hear the love in their sermons. They loved Christ. They loved their people. If we don't cultivate double honor in our hearts toward our pastors, it's if we begrudge them the salary that they are owed, that Christ tells us to give them, if we aren't grateful for the labor among us, it is as if the great ejection has happened in our hearts and it can have lasting effects on the church like it did in England. May we endeavor to give double honor to our pastors. Pray with me. Father, I pray that we would have generous hearts, that this scripture would come to mind when we want to worship you each and every week in the giving of our offerings. Father, I pray that we would be cheerful givers, that we would love to give. 
And Father, that it is an expression of the double honor that we want to give to support our pastors, that they are worthy of their wages. Father, I pray that as uh, our pastors model Christ, that we would do the same. Father, we thank you for them, and we, we just we love them so much as they work tirelessly among us. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.